Well, hey, man. How's it going? <laughs> How's it going? Good, dude. How you doing? Great. We've had a we've had about an hour warm up sesh to this. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here, dude. I'm glad to be here. This I is miss a- your face. <laughs> <laughs> Big Daddy Duke's got the feels. I oh, know this is this is fantastic. We got going on. It's it's good to see good people do well. I mean, God, how long how long have we known each other realistically? Because I think honestly, at least ten years. Yeah, I think uh, I think the first time I met you is uh, I I actually was gonna tell that story. Do you remember? It was like uh, was when uh when I was going to high school here actually so definitely at least 10 years I'm 28 years old now um the frisbee golf course oh interesting yes here pull that thing down a little closer to you yeah the frisbee golf course so I don't remember the frisbee golf course okay um or are you talking about the one in St. Cloud no the one here the one here the one here okay Mm -hmm. I think Bobby and Andrew and I were just like coming back out because like what we do is that we just like go out, we play the first few holes, and then there's that one with uh, the picnic table underneath yeah. the shade, and then oh, God, we just get yeah, just yeah, get, yeah. A little, get a little bit sauced, and then we're like, well, <laughs> we can continue with our day, <laughs> or we can go back. And we ran. Uh, I remember running into you for the first time when we were when we were coming back. That's we were funny. Back out to the car. Okay. The first time I remember is in St. Cloud. Uh, Bobby was like, hey, would you mind giving my friend a ride? He's uh, stuck in St. Cloud. And I was like, sure, that's fine. Okay. And uh, it was behind that Buffalo Wild Wings. We, I was there with a bunch of dudes skating and we were filming. Okay. I, okay. <laughs> yep. I, okay. It's, it's coming back. Yeah. See, this it's one was a back. long time ago. Yeah. So, uh, so we were filming this skate video and my friend's doing this gap. And there was a TV there. I was like, oh, it'll be cool to like have a TV explode for a shot. Well, it did look, it did look cool. But I threw it, and there just so happened to be like the wrong people walking by when it happened. So it explodes. I'm like, hell yeah. And then I, I go back over to my car where the camera was recording, or one of the cameras, to stop recording. <laughs> And you go, I think that it's calling the cops. And we looked over and there was this old guy like pointing at the scene on the phone. I was like, God damn it. (laughs) So he threw like, God, must have been four skaters plus you (laughs) in this car. See, like I was never a skater. (laughs) Yeah. I was a spectator. Right. I was the kid who would just like sit off to the side and smoke bad cigarettes with an even worse haircut. <laughs> and so that's that's my first memory of you. And then and then yeah, from then on out, like I would just see you at things and be like, mm-hmm. hey. So we had that like acquaintance where we'd be like, yeah, What's up? good yeah. people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes, very very much so. And then yeah, once I started doing uh concert photography is when we mm-hmm. like really like reconnected. Yeah, I uh, remember running into you and Kim at uh, New Amsterdam. One oh. time. I forget what show it was, man. God, did you ever? Did you ever see after the burial there? I was gonna say it was after the burial or yeah. August Burns Red, something like that. No, oh, I never saw August Burns Red at New Amsterdam. Funny though, I ended up working for them at Skyway Theater a couple years ago. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting into getting into working in the music industry, like uh, 
you know, obviously you know that I make music, I produce music, but when I lived in the Twin Cities, I worked for... Oh, we didn't even introduce who you are. Oh, no, we didn't. Jared, how's it? Jared Michael. Jared Michael, hello. <laughs> Jared Michael, I produce music as Illuminary. Um, electronic, uh, electronic music, you know, I, I kind of like bounce between things like trap has more of a hip hop influence. I've been making dubstep lately. I make future bass, kind of like more melodic sort of stuff. I screw around in house. I make hip hop beats, you know, just kind of, kind of whatever I'm feeling at the time, like is what'll come out. Um, yeah, just a sassy bitch. Sassy. <laughs> I, I, I was going to, I was, I was going to ask, can we curse on this? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> All right. Okay. But um, yeah. yeah uh, before that, I definitely cut my cut my teeth in the local metal scene, local metal core scene. You know, the scene kids, swoopy hair. Yeah. God. And then all of us. You were drumming for a while, right? <laughs> um. So the the last time I realistically drummed for a band, it was a band in high school. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We were we uh, it's it started off as a band called uh, Anaheim and Ruins, just sort of. Kind of, kind of like a joke name. Like I think, I think my buddy Andrew and I came up with it. Maybe five a.m. in the morning after rage adding a bunch of people in our band's MySpace and like, yep, you know, I'm in ruins. That's it. And then uh, that involved into another band called Borders. And you know, I live in Alexandria now. I'm back in Alexandria. So around that period of my life, it was like uh, I was jamming with my buddy AJ, the guitar player. You know, and he, at the time he's sort of like a studio mastermind. Sort of, we were, we were, we were all just like kind of figuring things out mm-hmm. at this point. But just the one problem that we'd have, dude, is just. You gotta find a drummer who could like really or like really put this down and i got so tired of like st- like i got so tired of just like looking around and then one day i just after watching so many dishes just bought that drum kit and i just i just started doing the drumming myself and in retrospect the kind of sound that we had during um during that time period if we were to keep going with that sound there's like a really popular sound in hardcore bands. Like uh, there's bands like Knock Loose and Varios, just sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah. just like, like really kind of like, d- like down tuned, super, super heavy stuff. But around the time in Minnesota is that like, we were, we were like really, we were playing like really angry, abrasive, heavy stuff that was super down tuned like that. So I caught myself thinking a couple of times, I was like, you know, like if we just like hung in there, we could have essentially pioneered this entire type of sound that's just became the thing today i mean i remember i think it was like four or five years ago knocked loose put out that music video for a song called the gospel oh yeah yeah. now when i went and hung out with some friends uh it was called the 2848 i think it's in shakopee i just you know it's been it's just just been so much time has spent since between like then and now and so many of my brain cells have just been burned (laughs) they're like placing and placing exact you know locations and stuff it becomes difficult but i i, I still have the memories yeah you know I, rem- uh, I i showed them this music video and i was like i told them i was like guys i swear on my life watch this is going to be the next big thing and it was <laughs> it was yeah like, for sure like i like i had one of those moments where it's like you know a lot of people are like they get really angsty about an artist that they listened to way back in the day that just blows up like crazy out of mm. nowhere. And they'll be like, I was here first, you know? <laughs> I think Breaking Benjamin was like another really big one oh, too. Wow. God, I, um, I think the second album that my dad ever bought for me in my life was their second album. Because like I heard their one song. It's a song. fucking banger. I, uh, it is like... <laughs> 
Even Polyamorous wasn't wasn't a terrible album. No, like, no, it wasn't a terrible but album. But the no. production on the second album was fucking oh, wild. Right. You know, I like I still I, I still bang it. All that music, dude, it doesn't just go away. I'm down with the sickness. I'm 28 and still down with the sickness. <laughs> but I mean, like Breaking Benjamin, like it's a, it's weird. Like they're so. It's not that people hate on them, but they very quickly dis disregard them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. it's very like dismissive. Like yeah, I mean, I remember hearing a couple songs. They don't really give a shit. But the 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 depth that those guys go into on songs Mm -hmm. they have i get that they have the same pattern pretty much for every track but i mean that's just what they're just what all music is essentially you know yeah but theirs is like it's so it's very predictable yeah so like there's money in it (laughs) yeah that's true you know there's money in it. it's what sells and for the for the average listener, like uh, I I feel as a music producer, I don't listen to music the same way other people do. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I do pick out those patterns and everything, but it's like, what pattern is it? Like it could be a D minor, and then it goes to like it, it goes to a major part right here. Okay, so we have like intro, chorus, pre-chorus, chorus, second verse, pre-chorus, chorus, breakdown, blah blah, blah third chorus. You know, it is a it is a very predictable pattern, but you know the the average listener they don't. That, That's that, true. Yeah, the the average listener doesn't like being taken in like a million different directions and stuff. Like, we you know for sure that uh, God, you know uh, I work for this band called Hairball, and when I first started, uh, the drummer that I was teching for at the time, Blake, Blake was uh, Blake was really into pro- progressive music. Uh huh. You know, so Hairball is that the cover band? Yeah, the cover band. Yeah. Like one of the burgers in the country, so freaking <laughs> cool. I'm awesome, not to mention incredibly handsome. <laughs> That's why they gave the job to me in the first place. They're like, we need at least one dude with face tattoos to like up our cred. And I was like, here I am. You know, and I'm a guitar player, right? Like, like first and foremost. So like when I got that when I got that job, I kind of like had to teach myself how to get into like a drum technician's like my like my like mindset i guess the, sure. the 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 one drum kit that i had you know the the band that i drummed for in high school it was like it was a snare it was one rack tom one floor tom one kick drum so mm. i went from that to like literally a 15 piece kit with a million things and it's like i got to learn how to work on this yeah anyway i digress but <laughs> blake was really into progressive music and so okay. when we when we go out uh when we go out and we drink in you know, Des Moines after we do the state fair. Okay. You know, there is uh obviously when they have the touch tunes on there, people aren't gonna dig listening to eleven minute dream theater songs <laughs> in a bar. I think there was one yeah, there was one time I remember he played this song by an artist called Opeth. Opeth is from Oh yeah. Yeah, they are the Swedish death metal. So Blake played this song and we heard everything disappear. And then it comes back to club music. Lo and behold, we look off yonder. Somebody unplugged the touch tunes <laughs> and plugged it back in. Bam! We got ASAP Ferg. You know, so that, that that's what I'm saying is that like the the the, the common music consumer is gonna, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna like really dig those like really really long epic songs where it feels like you're reading an entire book but you're just still listening to it. You know, so those yeah. those very those very predictable song structures you know and everything yeah you know they make money they're easy for they're it's a lot easier for a person to listen to sure you know Uh, you know what's wild is when i was 13 
Um, I don't know what record label Opeth was on first, but I know that they were on Roadrunner for a long okay, time. Okay, that makes sense. But so was Nickelback. <laughs> they had a they had like a like a street team that was going out to skate parks and handing out tapes. Hustle, dude. So I remember having a tape of Opeth and listening to it and being like, what the fuck is this? And I just thought it was absolutely insane. And so like, I, every time somebody brings them up, I'm always like, that's the first memory I have. It's like, just getting a random fucking tape. Yeah. And that's, a, that's another thing that's like really changed a lot about music and you know, getting it out there. Definitely back in the day when CDs were more of a thing before mm-hmm. like the whole streaming, the whole streaming phenomenon happened, like to get your music out, you, you, you had to hustle. Yeah. Like, um, I used to be really into this band called Nile. They're, they're, I don't know. they're a technical death metal band and pretty much the whole, yeah, are the, they a technical death metal band? Or oh are yeah. They technically a death metal band. Both. <laughs> They're like their songs are extremely hard. They're playing really crazy, like Phrygian and Snake Charmer scales, and it's just really, really heavy. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Oh my god. I know I'm, that's going to be the whole podcast is me adjusting my mic and asking you questions. No. I honestly don't know what gent is. Gent. Yeah. So, <laughs> the be- the best the best way that I could describe it is uh, take. The Nothing album from Meshuggah. Okay. And just explode every part of it out in the worst possible direction that you can. <laughs> so it's like it's, it's a, like it, jazz, but for it's uh it's definitely more it's definitely more rhythm based. Like uh the the guitars have like a very distinct kind of tone to them. And just like uh, what is written and what is being played is like like everything is very syncopated and very technical. Okay, okay. So then, like the um, the term came about just because the the tone that the guitars have and what they're playing. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that yeah that just became that became <laughs> like the whole gent phenomenon, and that album from Meshuggah was like the first kind of. Really, in my in my opinion, I mean, there could be some people that could listen to this later and say that like you're entirely wrong, you're full of shit, you don't know anything, you know. But it's like you know, I may produce dubstep, but I got two Pantera tattoos on my head. Yeah, you know, we got I don't know which which camera will catch it, but we got my Deftones White Pony right here, right on the wrist, you know. So it's like I I I grew up with like the heavier music, you know. Well, I mean, like from what i've seen like some of the best producers were um i know this is stupid but like quote unquote musicians first yeah and like you look at like skrillex that dude knows how to play tons of different instruments he's god that man still still to this day the best show of my life i've ever been to as cliche and cringe as that might sound but the dude, like, that's what he puts his effort into is making sure that, like, he kn- so he was like one of the first people that had to deal with that stereotype of like you're just clicking on a keyboard, mm-hmm. and so he had to make sure that he immersed people in this different world for yeah, his shows, and like the, the the sounds that he used, like he used in ways people haven't like really at the time thought about using them in, you know, and. When you when you look at it in the broader sense, he didn't reinvent the wheel, but no. he was definitely someone who pushed that wheel forward. And 
like you said it's i think it really attributes to the fact that like he's had a different background like he came up in from first to last he's been touring and doing music since he's like 14 15 years yeah. old he was really really young you know the uh, first time he played on stage was with pennywise he talked them into letting that's him. right i yeah. saw that <laughs> he got he rocked that shit yeah you it's know? fucking wild to think that like I don't know that you could do that now. Like, there's the gimmicky, like, clickbait shit where bands will have audience members come up and, and do shit. But, like, the way that he did it, like, waiting around till the band showed up and just saying, yeah. I know how to play it. Can you let me play? Yeah. It's fucking wild. Yeah, no way, no way can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Security will have your ass drug out. Or, I mean, people are already so, like, their lives are so broadcast that by the time they get to a venue, like they already, you're already on high alert. Yeah. And you know that people are going to come up and they're going to try and say like, oh my God, I saw you were in Tennessee last night. That looked really fun and like shit like that. And you're like, yeah, could we pretend that like you don't know where I am at all times? And Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I will say uh, a couple of years ago, I was actually flown out to St. Louis to play support for an artist named Virtual Riot. And um, I remember, Pretty much now, in retrospect, know that I got the slot because of the person who was managing me at the time was like putting together his own show. Okay, you know, so he's like, I'm gonna, bring, you know, it's like I'm gonna bring my boy out, you know, and it, it was. Pro- Did he it, say that creepily? I'm gonna bring my boy. Out. I'm gonna bring my boy out. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna draw them face. <laughs> I love you, David. <laughs> but um. It was, but but it was, but it was really weird for me too because I had like a couple moments when I showed up like that where like I showed up. You know, and like from the tattoo, everything mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a it's a very big part of like my image as sure. an artist. You know, like people see me, they see the tattoos, like oh, you know, at the at the, at the time I was Chambra, but like oh, I, that's right, yeah. But like uh, when I got there, there was a couple people that I met that knew who I was already by name. You know, oh. like you know, like how was your flight? And like it was it was really it was really kind of like weird because it's the first experience that I've ever had that like I'm meeting a complete stranger, don't know your name at all or anything about you, but they engage me and they come to me from a place that's like we're already best friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very it's very it's very jading, and I think it's I think a lot of I think a lot of people at that stage in their career when they first experience that it can kind of like develop into something that kind of like inflates ego oh for sure you know so after like after that show like after i played i definitely know i had to have a moment to like kind of like sit around and like you know come come back to myself and Mm -hmm. just be just be mindful of where i was you know like this is a great opportunity like definitely like still eternally great grateful for the opportunity i had an amazing time but just like, yeah. but just consciously like keep reminding myself that like because you've had these kind of like experiences now in these interactions, it doesn't mean that like you're the end all be all man. Oh sure, you know, yeah, it's it's very it's very weird. It's very odd. I, it's nice like the when I at one point my Instagram had blown up from concert photography and it ended up having to get deleted at one point and kind of revamped and yada yada but people thought that my name was Landon which no. was nice so it was like it, it's my kid it was a it was an instant reminder of like oh you don't know who I am yeah you know what I mean so yeah. it was like I never had I never had that but like there were people that like definitely because I mean so one time 
uh, I was shooting at a venue and this girl was talking about some photos that she had seen of mine. And she was like, I see you at shows and I love your man bun. And she grabbed my bun and like pulled it back. I was like, I wanted to be like, I don't fucking know you. But I was so jarred. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And uh, luckily, <laughs> I found out she was under 21 because I walked upstairs and went into the 21 section and she couldn't go in. Oh, boy. I was like, fuck, man. This is, it's a it's an odd time to like, it's incredible to be able to like see things. And, and for me, like, it's amazing to learn the shit that you do from what artists share. But it's also super fucking weird to feel like you know somebody mm-hmm. because you're basically getting to flip through their photo album, like their family photo album on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. And in, like in, in music, it's kind of like the same thing. Like uh, I showed you that one song earlier, the kind of like Club Your House Your song. Like I, I like that entire song. It's it's kind of like written from a perspective where the first part of it is like someone from my perspective who deals with things like mental illness and depression and things of suicide, you know. But by the time that the second verse comes around, it comes from a perspective of someone who is your support system mm. in your life, and it like it turns it into a message of hope and. You know, like every everybody can do any kind of like job that they're doing. Like at the end of the day, like we were talking, we were talking earlier about like work and stuff. Where I work in a metal shop, it's it's humbling. Like I make like sixteen and a half dollars an hour. Do I don't really necessarily enjoy doing my job. Mm. You know, and at the end of the day, if that becomes the thing that I do with the rest of my life, it's not. I'm building somebody else's dream. Oh. but but when you do things like create art and create music or for you in this instance, like creating a podcast, like you're, you're, you're creating culture. And when you, and when you create culture, it's essentially a way that like we could be dead and gone in like 30, 50 years or something. But it's like, you're, we're going to have these residual pieces of art and culture that we've created that will be emanating for, as long as the internet exists, that's you know, very as, interesting. As, as long as as long as long as as long as there's music, I mean, if you think about it, like classical music, hundreds, of, hundreds, and hundreds of years ago, still around, man, because like they created culture. Yeah, and that's the thing that I fell in love with, like the idea of making music. Is that like right now I'm creating culture, and in the culture that I'm immersed with, like club music and everything, you know, like we all we all love the songs about like partying and turning up and having a good time but it's like if i'm creating culture and creating a piece of auditory work that people can listen to i want to put something out there that more closely reflects me sure like i want people to like be able to listen to a photo album so like making that song was very cathartic for me because like i said you know turning up and having like a great time it's all great but like at the end of the day you know we we have we we have an obligation and we have a duty to be like things like suicide and depression and mental illness these types of things still need to be talked about and especially in the climate that we're in right now where everybody's locked inside you know, oh my god yeah no like let's just say real quick that that first full capacity function is gonna hit so different wow yeah you know just like when we all have that moment where we're at that show that's packed the brims and hearing everybody sing along together like everybody everybody at these places is they all have something in common right you know and we all have this one thing that connects every single one of us and it's completely like it's it's completely true yeah 
Like it, it will never not be true. Like any kind of any kind of like live music experience like that. Everybody like I could I could not know someone's name. I would have any idea who they are. We might look at each other when we're crossing each other on the sidewalk or like you know across the street. But it's like at the end of the day, if we all go to the the same place and we share the same feeling, we could all, we could all be in one spot doing the same thing and we can all feel the same things yeah you know so like by making that song i want to be able to have something that's real that's something that i deal with that i know that a lot of other people deal with too that like kind of i i want to think of it in a way is that like it brings me closer to people who's listening yeah i mean so i wanted i wanted to bring this up so you and I did a photo shoot. Shit, been four or five years now. Yeah, it's been been a minute. But um, when we did that shoot, I remember you like casually telling me about kind of your life's story, and me being like, "What mm-hmm. the? F- f- there's I need like a week to go through all of the shit that you've been through." So if you're okay with it, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like how I approach, how I think about, and how I process those moments in my life. Then has definitely changed until now because it's like all the reading and the learning and stuff that I've done. So I'm okay, definitely, I'm I'm open to it for sure. You know. So tell me what. So you grew up in Alexandria then. So I was born in Montevideo, and then. Through my early childhood, like my parent, my parents were separated before I was maybe three years old, and my mother was living in Alexandria. My father was living in Wheaton with uh, this woman that he was seeing at the time, who became the mother to my half sister Kiara. Okay, and then at about four years old, five years old, I kind of just like went outside one day after like Dad told me, and they're like, "Hey, you know, like pack some stuff for the night and come outside." And there's this other woman there. Her name was Rhonda. Uh, Ron has since passed away a few years ago. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Let's just say before we get any deeper into the stories, that like I don't want, I don't want to make it seem like I am holding anybody responsible, or, you know, that I don't, I don't want anybody who could like watch this and listen to this think that like I think lesser of these people because of things that I've been through. Oh, sure, sure, sure. You know, so it's like uh, from a really young age, I was kind of, I was kind of like brought up with the idea that this other woman that like I just met that I came outside and then the next night I'm living at her place, like this woman was supposed to be my mom. You know, so, and then there's been... Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so your dad like just suddenly took you and you just moved in with this other woman yeah because uh at the time i don't i don't know if it was like an, like if he was having an affair or anything like that but it was pull just, that guy down a little bit sorry yeah I don't, I don't i don't know if it was just like if there was like an affair or something happening but it's like all of a sudden like we're not living with Lori well with Lori anymore wow you know and like we're moving into this house and like we told like when I got here and I said this is a beautiful home, houses that grow in were piles of two by fours, completely true. Like wow. if you ever see Fight Club, the dump that they lived oh, in, God, you yeah. know, rusty nails everywhere, everything wouldn't swelled and shrank. Like I think this house sold when we moved out of it. I was twelve years old. I think this house that we sold that we lived in, that we sold, I think it sold for like five hundred dollars. Oh my god. And it was immediately condemned. Like so I mean, God, uh, was there, was there like drug use? No, I mean, um, 
my dad growing up, he was a prescription drug addict and an alcoholic. And there'd be times where, uh, there'd be times where he would like kind of go through a heavy, heavy moments of like using his pain medication where he'd be really strung out and, you know, kind of like a different person. And then he'd put that down for a while, but then when he did, he'd pick up the drinking again, Mm. you know? So it was just like kind of like cycles going around with like those two things of like use and then, no, like I've, I've I've never known a whole home. Like I've never. I was I, gonna I, say I, I feel like I remember you telling me that like you moved around a lot and. Uh, well, I li- I lived in this town from when I was about four years old to twelve years old, and then I lived in a town called Wendell, Minnesota. It's right by Fergus Falls. From about twelve and a half, thirteen years old or so, and then I moved back to Alexandria at sixteen with my mom. And then around when we first met, it was the middle of my senior year where I moved out from my mom's because like there was some there was some conflict happening at home. Basically, I was young and I was like getting social security and stuff from the government to like help raise me, but I knew better. I had the entire world figured out, so I would take some of this. And wait, wait, wait! <laughs> Why did you have social security? Oh, uh, because uh, from like divorce and stuff. Like uh, my dad, he's always kind of like worked low income jobs and stuff like that. And then uh, when I was about 12 to 13 years old, when we moved to Wendell, we did so to be close to my grandparents. My dad was disabled. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, my dad was disabled. And uh, he was rear-ended when he was at a dead stop. I know a woman going about 58 58 miles an hour. Yeah, so, and then uh, we would get get Social Security and he would get disability, but he would like pay all the bills and stuff that we would have to like, just keep the house over the keep the roof over our head for the rest of the month. But then he's raising two growing boys. He just didn't have a lot. Left. I mean, what, so what was your, and I'm not saying like hindsight wise, I'm saying in the moment, what was it like living with, with your father? Like, did he, was he engaged or like, what did it seem like? He did, he did, he did his best with what he had uh definitely coming from a re- uh, definitely coming from a retrospe- uh, retrospect sort of approach he mm. did he really did do the best that he could you know he i'm saying not hindsight 2020 oh, so oh, oh the, in the time yeah yeah, I yeah. Was, it was angry well i was really angry i was i was really bitter a lot you know just i didn't understand that because we didn't have a lot of like extra money to do things why i, I couldn't go out for sports or anything like that so like that caused a lot of isolation in school with my peers you know i was always like the kid who was like i was around you know i was there but i just mm-hmm. never I, I just never really got to do, like do anything and like really kind of like engage and build you know strong meaningful relationships with kids that i went i grew up and like went to school with you know so that caused like a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness you know, uh, when I was in seventh grade, I went out for basketball for like one year, and then you know, dad got like, dad like bless his heart, he would he would take them like the not a lot of money that he had over month like for one month, and he would he saved it for like a period of a couple months, and so like when I was in seventh grade, and my brother was in eighth grade, he was finally like. And especially just because we uh, we switched schools, we went to like a bigger school where my cousins were going to like my cousins attended and everything. My dad was like, you know, what? just like I think I need to do something for these boys to like kind of get them more out into there. So like I was in basketball for a year. My brother was in football for a short while. Okay. He, I think I think he had like three or four practices and then he actually ended up breaking his collarbone. So, he, oh, my God. Yeah. So Jordan never got to play like an organized sport game or anything throughout his like entire, you know, 
tenure of being at school and i was in basketball for a year okay yeah so and um god i'm just all the memories coming back dude like i remember well, yeah I, I remember that I re- <sighs> funny you're story. such a sweet dude and you and i mean you've you've been this way since since i've known you at least which is to say that like you don't want someone to feel bad for you no I, i'm not i absolutely not at all and so i i've like I've heard you like downplay certain things and I'm like, well, let's get sad for a second and just let me be there with you. Right. For, for this fucking story. Right. But, uh, God, when I was really into, when I was, when I went out for basketball for that year, I was so into it, dude. And like my, my dad, he would give me, he would give me all the basketball movies, like the coach Carter and Hoosiers is like one of my favorites. Oh, that's awesome. Well, like, uh, I think, I think Hoosiers was probably like my favorite basketball film because like, uh, Jimmy, the kid in there, he's like really quiet, kind of oh, yeah, like, yeah. kind of like, kind of like really outsider, but he was you know, the dude was God on the court. It was absolutely incredible. So like, I felt I really liked that movie because I could connect to that character a lot because my entire life before that. And even, even after that, like I've always identified as sort of like that outsider, you know, and I, I, I wanted to do the basketball thing just because like, I wanted to have like a better relationship with the people I was going to school with. But now that I think about it, like I, I did that just because like, Maybe not just because a, a a lot of it was attributed to that. Like I just wanted other people to like me. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. I wanted to have a lot more friends, and I I wore ankle weights every day, dude. Like Whoa. during like during class, like all the way up until basketball practice, I would have twenty pound ankle weights on my shit so I could run faster and I could jump higher. No I was way. A, I was the second tallest kid on the. I was the second tallest kid on my team, and I had the highest vertical, but because I wasn't. I wasn't regarded as a person of popularity or my parents didn't work at the school or anything. I never, mm. never got to jump, never got to start. I think that, oh. I think, yeah, I think that entire, I think that entire season I probably played for 11 minutes. Oh my God. I put up like 10 points though, you know? So like when you, <laughs> when you, when you think about that, you know, so that, that, that kind of like made me angry because my coach was telling me that, um, you know, if you work hard during practices and you know, you work hard during games, you'll earn your spot on this team. And I really felt that, like, I did that to the best of my ability. And still, when the season ended, you know, we went 2-10 and 10 or something. Yeah. Just an absolute garbage record. You know, like, I, I was pretty upset about that. You know, like, just this, this, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You know, yeah. so I was really disappointed, and I decided not to go out for basketball the next year. But instead, I picked up the guitar, man. You know, and just, where did you get the guitar from? You know, like again, my dad, like he didn't have a lot of money, but he saved for a really long time, and he finally just he, he got me like a he got me like the Best Buy starter special. Okay, kind of like a it's like a Fender Strat that was like made out of plywood with like a really cheap bad amp and three picks and a even worse like instructional DVD. <laughs> Just, just absolute garbage. But no, like he, he, he did. He did the very best he could, and he got me that. And then, like starting in eighth grade, like learning how to like play and all that. Then it was really kind of like interesting to experience because instead of like just being like the weirdo outsider, everything that was like made fun of a lot. When the classes would end, and when I was in eighth grade, and we'd have the few minutes before the bell, I'd bust the guitar out, and everybody would like flock around me and just like want me to play stuff. 
Yeah. You know, and like I've like it was it's it's like I think I think about it in a way that it's like when I stopped doing things because I wanted to be accepted by everybody else and I did something Mm. because I just wanted to be me and like do something that I was passionate about that I knew that I loved. Like I've always loved music from a really young age. But like when I put aside um, this kind of I've been reading a lot about like how people create false senses of self. And so, like gravitating towards sports and everything, because you know, like the girls, like the, oh sure, the, the, the like the girl, like the girls, like the the girls, like the guys who like did well in basketball or played football. They want to be Zac Efron. Yep, yep. They want to be Zac. <laughs> they want to be. <laughs> they gotta keep their head in the game. <laughs> but like when when I when I when I started like setting that aside and embracing what I really loved and what I was passionate about and what, and like kind of your own sense of individuality, Mm. like not embracing yourself, what it really means to be you instead of like just other things that create a false sense of who you are. That's kind of like when people sort of like really gravitating around me where it's like, Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't really made fun of a lot too much anymore. You know, like I like I started having very like cordial relationships with like the people that I went to school from, but I mean I'm I'm still not. We didn't graduate high school and then just go stomping through the club or anything together. <laughs> you know, and I've run I've I've ran into a few of the people that I went to school there where you know we talked about they're like hey dude you know just like when we were growing up and we were kids like I've definitely realized just how much i really gave you a hard time oh, and just wow. and just like made school like a living hell you know and like I, I think a part of it kind of like attributes to that they can look at my facebook or something right now where it's like i'm 28 i'm still doing music like i'm still chasing after with my whole like my whole heart yeah and this job like 2019 we went to 35 different states wow you know? yeah so like i go to i go to my 10-year high school reunion now like i'm gonna be like i can I think people would like generally regard me as like being a rock star, you know, because I didn't graduate from and from West Central and get a business degree at North Dakota State University and marry mm. my high school sweetheart and like settle down to like, kind of have like a predictable life. Sure. You know, I'm 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 not a, I'm not about I'm not about settling. I guess is that like you know I'm 28 and my mom was talking to me about this. She's like you know just like out of all my sons, just there's just something about you where like. You just you, you never gave up, you know. Like my brother Travis, now like he he has a fa- like he has a family, which is like very very good because like Travis grew up Travis grew up without ever having his father in his life, you know. But now, what do you mean? Like, uh, tra- I don't think I don't think Travis has ever actually met his real dad. They'd have no relationship. Oh, so this is a half brother? Um, yeah, Travis is my ha- oh, okay, yeah, okay, Tra- okay. Travis is my half brother, but we have a really close relationship, so I just call him my brother. I gotcha. You it know? just I was trying to figure out the one that you grew up with versus the oh, okay. uh, Jordan. Jordan is the brother that I grew up with. Okay, got you. Yeah, Jordan and I have the same mom, same dad, and then we grew up like until I was like 16 together in the same house. And I live with my brother, Jordan now at my mom's place. And literally yesterday, like Jordan and I have a great relationship now too. you know, like growing up because like of the things that we had to experience and, you know, our home life and all that, and not really having a consistent mother figure around it kind of just like it brought different levels of just bitterness and anger and to me a different degree than him like jordan when we were growing up we had he had like a really bad temper mm. 
you know, and like there was times where he was like, you know, really violent, very short fused. But now we're just like a completely different person, you know, because we have both of our parents in our lives. And I think that's just something that like as we grew up, we decided that like, you know, my mom has like her issues with my dad. My dad has like issues likewise. But just because like these two people who are our parents have these types of issues, it doesn't mean that we have to, you know, like I want sure. my, I want my dad and my mom around a lot. But no, Jordan and I have a great relationship. That's literally who I went to the gym with yesterday. And, you know, like we kind of, we, there's kind of like a moment on our drive back where like he's driving his truck, you know, he's, he's got like a, he's got like a big Ram Duramax. <laughs> and he looks at me, he's like, I had a lot of fun today. <laughs> You know, I was like, dude, you know, just like I did too. And we brought my TV from my bedroom into like my studio room. And he was like on the computer looking at bike parts and stuff. And I was like playing Warzone with the homies. And when he went to bed last night, he was like, love you. I'm like, he has never, he hasn't said that to me in years, you know, just because like we had that little bit of moment of like, you know, exercising, working out. And honestly, like the dude's been trying to get me, get me to do it for a long ass time. Like since, <laughs> since I moved back to move back in with my mom's, but like, I would just, you know, with the, the shit that I've been dealing with lately is that like, I would stay up all night in my head and Jordan works overnight. So like, I'd be staying up all night. And then by the time that he gets home from like his overnight shift, um, it's kind of like right about when I just start to like go to sleep. And he asked me, she's like, "Hey, you want to go to the gym?" I'm like, "Hell no!" Like I just, I just watched four Star Wars movies in a row. <laughs> I ate half of everything that's in my fridge. I'm not gonna go lift shit right now. <laughs> we finally had that yesterday, and like it definitely, I could, I could definitely tell that it hit him different, you know, because like I don't know how he does, but Jordan is like even more of a loner than me. Mm. Like he does, like he's he's sober too. Like he doesn't. Do, oh, okay. He, like he doesn't do any drugs. He hasn't had a drop of alcohol in like maybe five years. Wow. He doesn't like go out and hang out with other friends, but it's like when you go out into this room, he's just like big Buddha George. <laughs> You know, realistically, just like there's, there's, there's no problems. Oh, nice, dude. You know, and it's just like, how can I learn from that? Like, teach me, dude. Well, I'm glad you said that because that's a perfect, like, n- not necessarily backtrack, but um, I, I want to make sure because sometimes people, um, when when they listen to these and they don't necessarily know the the guests that we have on, I try to make sure that they understand. Because when you say things like, you know, schools th- perspectively thinks I'm a rock star and like I've worked really hard on this music. And some people perceive that as cockiness, but really um, it's hard work. You know, I just want to make sure people know that. Plus, you, when I was saying that you downplay stuff, it's interesting to then know so like when did you find out about your mental health issues um i think it was 2015 oh i'm trying um that's very recent actually um so like uh i want to say 2015 because it's when i actually got like an official diagnosis but like from being aware of mental health problems from a very very young age I think all the way up until about fifth grade, I was the kid who, like, after recess, every 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 kid would like come back inside to the class, and like the teacher would read a little bit of a book each day. But during reading time, I was the one kid in my class that would be taken away to go see the counselor in the school and receive therapy. 
Actually, I did a little so bit. So what, what I, was that perceived? <clears throat> like, what did you think that was? I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really... It's hard to say because I didn't think that it was because of, there was something, like, different than me. Like, different about me than, like, other people. So it was... When I was doing it, I was like, "Why? Like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? What? Like, why can't I? Why can't I get the book read to me today too?" Because then when I come back to class, people are always just give me that kind of like bewildered look. Like, where were you? Mm-hmm. What were you doing? Why do you get to talk to Mister Strand a little bit more each day than the rest of us? And it's because of the things that Jordan and I have like dealt with from a very very young age and like going to school like ever since preschool. You know, like, uh, what do you mean? Like, I, th- I think I think another way that I could put it in terms of is that like when we would have the days where it was mom day at school, everybody's moms got to come to class, not mine and Jordan. Mm. And like when we had the days where, you know, like the dads come to school. Dad couldn't do it because the dad, like, dad has to work. We, like, I've grown up never really having a lot. And just, ever, like, still to this day, I don't have a single memory at all of my dad and my mom ever being in the same room. Not one. Wow. That is wild. You know, and it's, so it's like, oh, like, how come, dur- how, how come during, like, mom day at school, everybody else's moms can come, but I can't? And then my classmates would look at me in the same way and be like, why is Jared's mom not here? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, third grade, fourth grade, we don't know any better. So that became kind of that kind of became like a jumping point off of that. I would receive maybe not criticism, but like definitely be bullied over it. Yeah. You know, and it's it's because like I like I knew that like mom can't be here because like mom and dad aren't together, you know, and she can't make it. You know, and it's like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's well, kinda, dude, it's, it, yeah. It's kind, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of like difficult. It's kind of like difficult, you know. Just like it, it hits, it hits because you. That's why I want to bring this shit up is because people hear us, people like us, right, talking about mental health and like how important it is, and it's because we deal with it, mm-hmm. and we sound like perceptually confident right Right. so because we've decided to own certain aspects of our our mental health uh it's misconstrued as like oh look how empowered they are and how confident they are and it's like you don't realize the hell that had to happen for us to come to even like close to where we're at right now Mm -hmm. like for me it's only within the last six months that like i'm like I've always been vocal about certain things and like depression, but I, I I'm almost 34 and, and just fucking now like have the full scope of like what's mm-hmm. truly wrong with me. Right. And so the fucking shit that that takes to to get to this point, we're we're open because we want to help other people. Well, we want we want like uh, we want to essentially destigmatize it. Yes, there we go. That's the word I was looking. You for. know, and especially just because, like the, like the borderline personality shit, which is like, uh, like borderline personality and bipolar can be seen as like very similar to each other. But it, it's like my my periods of mania and depression can literally happen in a sentence. 
yeah. you know, because like a big part of borderline personality is that like uh, I have serious abandonment issues, which oh. is which which uh, when I was growing up, like mom can't be there, and like my dad and like my dad and my da- uh, him and our entire side of that family was like it was, they were kind of like putting this idea into my head that like mom left you, mom abandoned you, which wasn't true. Right, you know, so like, and you didn't find that out until later on, right? No, I mean, not, not, not truly. I mean, there's, there's been times where like I would read through transcripts of like when they were going through court and stuff like that, you know, and like, how'd you find those? They're just down in a box, locked away in the basement. Oh my god! You know, so like, uh, I think I was about eleven years old when I finally got to like read through all those and like kind of getting a sense of, you know, uh, my dad was giving a testimony that like people would pick me and join up from my mom's place and I'd be wearing a t-shirt that goes down past my knees with no underwear on and cowboy boots, you know, and the places like being dirty and shit all the time. But like, I don't, I don't really, I don't really see that as like being my mom's fault because my mom worked a lot, you know, and like she had other people around in her life who were seen as like male figures or like were supposed to be father figures to us boys when we were there, but they were very, they were very abusive and they were very violent. You know, and so, you do remember that? No, I mean, I, de- I definitely feel like a lot of that is certainly repressed. Mm. You know, so then like I would see my mom every two two weekends, and like mom couldn't be there because she's too busy working her ass off to try to pay child support for two boys. You know, and then I'd go back to my dad's and my dad would be like, you know, your mom's out partying all night and she's out drinking. She doesn't have anything. She doesn't want anything to fucking do with you. She's not a mom, you know, and like and, that, and like that's not true. But it's like when uh, I think it's Freudian psychology where it says that like uh, it's a it's an I'm, God, God, I'm going to be hung if I'm wrong. Let's just let's 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 remove the Freudian term from it. But uh, nature versus nurture. Oh, sure. We're like everything. Uh, it's 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 nature. Everything starts in the brain. Mm-hmm. But after when you're about four years old, you become a product of your environment. So when your environment, so when you're a kid who's like four years old, and your environment is a, like it's it's toxic and it's being reinforced by you know like what people are saying all the time that becomes a part of your psyche Mm. but now just lately it's easier for me to talk about it you know just number one is just like part of destigmatizing it but like learning that you know everybody says that like i'm not ashamed of my past because the past makes me who i am but like i think like now i definitely think that that's not true that you're creating a false sense of self where it's like any pain past 90 minutes that you're feeling is essentially old pain and you don't realistically have problems. You have situations that you, that you have, that that you have to deal with where it's like the only, the only moment where it becomes a problem is when you're choosing to allow it to become to a problem. Mm. Do, Do you suffer from anxiety at all? Yeah. I, uh, like generalized anxiety. Yeah, or? when uh, when I was when I was about seven, my therapist said that I have an anxiety disorder that puts my average stress level about sixteen times higher than what normal people have emotional breakdowns at. Jesus. Yeah. So like, uh, when I would have my anxiety attacks, it's full on hyperventilating. Like, and very few people in my life have like actually experienced me have these moments. Mm. You know, where it's like I I literally can't breathe and I have to sit in the corner and like 
with the bag and the hyperventilate and just kind of like my thoughts being a hamster wheel at any and all times, you know, it becomes really easy that like if I have a problem or like a, a negative stimulus that like it, it could start as just like something so small and so menial, but by the end of the hour, it will just completely blow up into something that's com- like absolute epic proportions sure. where it's like I've, I'm realizing I'm realizing now that a lot of my life that I've only done that because like I chose to do that you know and then uh, I wasn't really made aware of my diagnosis with borderline personality until about 2015 where um, I, I'm always interested in this when people find out like later on in life about uh, is it I forget the acronym for borderline but or I mean, uh, yeah, per, in, whatever. Or BPD. Yeah, BPD. Um, but so I'm the thing that I'm interested in is how people treated you when you would be angry or when you would be, you know, the, what we now know as mania, like having these manic episodes. Because for me, like the way that I was treated was. Like looking back on it, it's like, oh, no, nobody knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, see, and, and with BPD, that's there's no medication for it. There's like the only thing I can do is like treat it with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which I received for a while. You know, I received it for a while and, that, and it helped quite a bit. I, uh, I took Zoloft for a while because oh. like uh, to help with the depression because like uh with what I have is that like which is a, fun thing about uh, Zoloft uh, side effects may include thoughts of suicide which yeah. is super fun <laughs> yeah I mean because <laughs> I was on that too right I mean so in 2015 when I started getting therapy again it was after it was after a suicide attempt well god well no I would I wouldn't really I wouldn't really say that was a suicide attempt but I was definitely I definitely had a knife in my hands I was gonna say so the um Kim was describing this to me. Uh, they take that just as seriously as somebody um, just about to walk into traffic or just about to jump off a bridge. Mm-hmm. Like the thought you've disrupt, you're starting to disrupt your fight or flight mm-hmm. because your instinct is to say survive, survive, survive. Mm-hmm. So when somebody gets to that point, they treat it the exact the exact same way as somebody who who okay. just took a okay. ton of pills. So like it's all. I would say it counts because you've already you've you've begun to disrupt that fight or flight. So mm-hmm. the scary thing about that is like statistically speaking, like you're that much more likely to try again. Yeah. Which I'm not trying to like fuck with you in that way, but like that's why I have three suicide attempts is because I disrupted it, disrupted it more, and then now it's I mean, just a God, whatever. My, God, my first one was at eleven years old, man. You've had more than one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's right. So that's the thing is is you're like I've had three actually. Hey, look at well. twinsies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, definitely in 2015, after I had that moment, I reached out to Cope, Minnesota Cope, and then okay. they got me into like starting to like finding a therapist, finding a psychiatrist. And when I sat down, and I told my uh, I told my psychiatrist at the time like basically a life story. He's like, I don't understand how you went from, you said, seventh grade is when you stopped getting therapy in school. How have you made it to this point now without it? Because he's like, I, he's like, I definitely have you down. Is like, you you definitely do have 
borderline personality disorder just how he said that how quickly you could say that my mood shifts where it's like somebody could say one thing and i will immediately like take it as abandonment and then it becomes like he's sort of sort of sort of like i'm interested do you have like the self um uh so there's like catastrophizing and then so I am a fuck up, therefore I'm going to fuck up. Yeah. But you still want somebody to be there for it. It's like uh, the way that he said it is that like your 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 brain seems to have a kind of approach to a lot of your relationships in your life, especially for me, is that like I always have very tumultuous romantic relationships because I have a lot of abandonment issues where it's like my brain is basically projecting this message onto this person that I love, me saying, I fucking hate you. Mm. Please don't leave me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's what I was trying to figure out was what that... Okay. Yeah, you know, it's just like I hate you, but don't leave me. Yeah, and then uh, he's like, uh, and there's definitely things that I pick up where like you have OCD like tendencies. Really? Yeah. We're like, uh, for for me, for me, it's uh, I I won't say that like I'm super like empath, but like I'm definitely a lot more in tune to like environments and stuff. Where uh, if my room is a mess, like you know that I'm not. Oh, interesting. And uh, a, a really big thing for me is that like uh, it's not having everything completely perfect. It's that like I know where everything is at. For instance, like still now that like if I get if I get mail or like I'm expecting a package or something, I know that the package is supposed to be either on like the front porch or the front or like the like kind of like landing in our house. Sure. So if I come home and I see that it's delivered and it's not there lose my shit and then i go up yeah and then i go up on then i go upstairs and it's on the table or i will set one of my things one place and then somebody else will move it without telling me that's a really really huge thing that like sets me off too and then he also said that like for the depression uh the depression that i deal with where it's like it's it's chronic like it's honest it's honest it's honestly there every single day like i i don't think i've had i don't think i've had a day in have you heard of dysthymia? That's uh, that's what I was just getting to. Really? Actually. Okay. He says that like I'm like oh your diagnosis is definitely dysthymia because it's very it's chronic. It's where it's like I'm kind of uh, like I'm kind of just like riding a sort of like steady below average. But like when I dip, when I have those moments, like when my BPD like really gets set off, and I have the things like the abandonment issues come out or the angry. When I dip, it's a fight for my life. Like I can't think of I can't think of a day in my life. For as long as I've been alive where I haven't thought about suicide. Like it's it's like it's it's people have like reoccurring thoughts and stuff every day and like mine is just like my like mine is suicide every day. And especially during this last summer with all of us being locked up mm-hmm. and everything, like what like I'll stay up all night and just like I'll be in my head and then I'll be looking at my phone, like when is Ace Hardware open? Because I'm gonna go buy some rope and there's some woods a hundred yards from my house. Every single day, you know. Uh, I had a friend who said uh, the only reason that he uh, he he doesn't own a gun because even though he's not suicidal, having the mechanism there so like definitive Mm -hmm. is scary to him. And like I think about that too. Like uh, my my cousin had, had killed himself last year. 
with a gun. Sorry and I remember that, man. And this was a month before my suicide attempt. And I remember when I heard about that, there was a couple things. First thing was like, yeah, I get it. And then the, the second thing was, it's a good thing I don't have a gun because, like, that's exactly what would fucking happen. Yeah, I mean, like, at, the, at this point, I've, like, considered looking into options to where, like, can I have it put on my file that I can't buy a firearm ever because it's the same thing for me. They're like, if I had that there, how much I think about it on a day, like, how much I've thought about it on a daily basis for as long as I've been alive. Like, mm-hmm. having having that option there, it's not a safe thing. Yeah, for for myself, like I'm not a violent person. I'm not an angry person at all. So it's like I wouldn't. And then I don't know that that that's kind of like another topic in and of itself. Where it's like I think I think people who suffer from mental illness that like also have that there that are angry and are violent and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think people, especially in this kind of like uh, this political climate, where we want to expand background checks for people who want to be able to have access to firearms because, oh, sure. be, because of that reason, you know. But it's like we're biden's not gonna go door to door and take your fucking guns yeah, away no shit you know where it's like it's a, so funny people were always saying obama was gonna take their guns yeah so weird how they all yeah, still sorry, have their no. guns but it's like but but but, <laughs> but it's like the, the the topic of conversation is that like when you do have somebody who is angry and has those sort of like violent tendencies and stuff when they like when these kind of people have access to a firearm and there's conflict say like someone's talking shit in the street or a bar because these people have that firearm on them they're going to be the people to escalate it because like they have that it could be like a, like my dad always said it was like little man's gotta have a gun to make himself oh, yeah, feel yeah. bigger short man syndrome yeah yeah so it's like it, it's 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 turning the topic of conversation about the like we need to, we need to have our society and everything do a be able to protect itself from people who have some like this kind of mental illness that they project it onto other people. And if they have access to a firearm, then like, yeah, they're going to project on onto people. They're mm-hmm. going to escalate conflict because they see that like, because I have this here, it's always going to go my way. Yeah. Well, I mean the, I forget what the statistic is, but there's a statistic that says um, people who own a gun, simply purchasing the gun, the, the, the likelihood of them using it at some point goes up like exponentially. It does. It does for sure. God, especially if they get a couple beers in them and their team loses the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, not dude. even that. Like, and they don't know. I mean, you could say that this is like, I don't know, like the universe or whatever. But like, it's not even always in 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 like an uh, aggressive way. Like, mm-hmm. it's just somebody's uh, somebody breaks into their home and that now that dude is shot and now that dude's dead. It doesn't mean that that individual was going to kill their entire family, but because they're in the home, just one of their fucking TV, (laughs) which I get sucks. It's fucking terrifying, but it's just like, it's, it's just weird that, that like it, it, yeah, it's, it's I, I get that correlation is not causation, but like, it's just a weird statistic that's out there that yeah. it's very odd. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's big government sending criminals into their house. <laughs> so, I mean. Sending Antifa into my living room. <laughs> Must be out of your son of a bitch of mine. <laughs> um, I mean, so. And I mean, the whole reason that you're here today is like you had 
kind of expressed like how people and I'm not trying to throw like shade on anybody, but the the like the people aren't necessarily reaching out and maybe it's because you're in Alexandria. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I, I mean, on top of that, like the thing that our, our brain does that says, uh, OK, depression is kicked in and now we need to sit in it. And then at the end of the day, we're going to feel horrible for not doing anything all day. Yeah. And I think a lot, I think a lot lately is that like, I need, I've been practicing understanding that maybe people don't like reach out and like talk to me as much as they should because like I'm far away, but also I need to be able to understand and empathize that other people have their own shit going on too. Like I'm not the only one that's dealing with shit. Oh, sure. Literally everybody on the planet is dealing with some shit right now. You know, so like for I need I need to be able I need to be able to like reinforce to myself that like everybody has their everybody has their own things going on and just because you're not getting messages or everything being checked up on every single part of the day doesn't mean that people stopped caring about you. Sure. You know, so and like the last six, seven months has just been it's been a really kind of like big period of like teach me how to be okay with like being by myself mm-hmm. and especially just like lately in the past couple of weeks where well i think I, I think i started picking up reading a lot about a month and a half like about a month and a half ago a month and a half ago i started reading a lot more and getting back into exercising and, you know like we were talking about uh january 6th is like uh, my two-year i call it like the vegan anniversary v- oh okay. vegan anniversary but like i definitely just say that like i'm just more plant-based you know because like Everybody who like just starts doing something like that, they have like a couple like fuck ups, pitfalls, and everything. I'm still, I'm still trying to like figure a lot of stuff out, and you know, uh, being spending a lot of time alone and like kind of being up at my mom's. My mom's, my mom's place has a different sort of energy about it, where like it can be kind of difficult for me to get into like a mind, uh, a a headspace of like where I'm creative. You know, like all cre- oh. all creativity is like based out of a place in your mind called uh, Eckhart Tolle calls it no mind. Interesting. Where uh, you're, he's saying that you're completely present and you're anchored in the moment, you know, and that's what a lot of like what meditation is about is that meditation brings you into the moment and into yourself to focus on your breathing and, you know, your immediate surroundings. Because like I said before, anything past like 90 minutes or so is just old pain. So we create pain and we create resentment for ourselves by choosing to attach ourselves to something that has already happened and done. And when we attach ourselves to that and we bring it into our lives now, that is what's creating resistance and problems, you know? Mm. And the past is depression. The future is anxiety. And like, and I'm not saying, and he's, he's, he's explaining that like, there's nothing wrong with having goals. There's nothing wrong with like having things to look forward to for yourself, but life is about the journey and not the destination. And he says that like it's about the journey because it's like it's about this moment right now. Everything that everybody is dealing with is meant to happen. What like what we're feeling, what we're dealing with, what we're processing, it's meant to happen. And we're like we can't deal with it in the future and we can't deal with it in the past, but we can deal with it right now. Yeah. So that's why being here and being present is the most important thing that one can do for themselves to help them grow spiritually and, you know, mentally. 
where he says that like the if somebody if somebody comes to you about something that they need to talk about or a problem that they're having with their life, the best possible thing that you can do is just not say anything and just listen and be there in the moment. Because when you're there in the moment, you're able to empathize a lot more deeper. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. You know? I, you're saying all of the right things. Right. Well, it's just interesting because again, like to go back to when we when we have these discussions, like. You, people like you and I are able to have these discussions because uh, we already know that the other has some type of understanding of, of what's going on. Yeah. For the listener, like, again, this is not to say that we've got it now figured out. Like, mental health shit is something that you live with for the rest of your life. So, like, yeah. like we, you were talking about how, you know, in your vegan journey, there's going to be slip ups and you can't know every single thing. Um, it's the same thing with mental health stuff. Like mm-hmm. we could know all of the things, but the chemical imbalance can still get the better of us sometimes. Yeah, it absolutely can. You know, and there's and there's and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with like having those moments where it does get the better of you because like we're all human. Yeah, we're all human. We're we're allowed. We're allowed. We're allowed to have these periods of like where we have like slip ups or where we need help. And it's it's humbling. It's humbling to ask for help and to accept it. You know, a lot of like uh, because I was I was raised with the understanding that like to be seen needing help is a weak thing. And that's not true at all Mm. to say that you need help and like to be able to uh, and willing to accept it. I think that's a very strong thing that people could do right now. And we need we need to be able to destigmatize that. We need to be able to take the negative, the negative sort of uh, the God. What am I like? What am I like? What am I trying to say here? Um, You take your time, man. I can always edit it or I'll leave it all in and make you look like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely the second part. But like uh, we need, we need to kind of like lift. We need to be able to lift the veil off of people, and to, uh. and to be able to like help others understand that like while we do deal with these things, we are we are coming to the listener to a point of saying that like if you if you think you need help, then you then you yes. then you do, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, pretending that you can drive without a steering wheel. Is kind of like the madness. Like that's the best way that I've I've thought of that really explains um, when somebody refuses to ask for help mm-hmm. when they truly do need it. Mm-hmm. You're literally like, for somebody who's intuitive or for a friend or family member who knows them, it's like watching them try to drive without a steering wheel. It's like, Dan, mm-hmm. I fucking know you need help. Mm-hmm. Pull the fuck over. Yeah, and just like um, another thing that Eckhart Tolle writes about is that like having those moments where you think to yourself, "Where like I do need help," that is consciousness, mm. and by de- and denying that is unconsciousness. So like uh, by being conscious, by being conscious of like you accepting and telling yourself that like you do have these things that you need to deal with and that you do need help with it when you're able to be conscious of those feelings the only way out of something is through it so when you're con- yeah. so when you're conscious of it that begins a process in your brain to where like okay so like right now i am experiencing feelings of sadness what is causing these things how can i deal with it and yeah. when you're able to answer all those you're able to move into it and through it which kind of like metaphorical story (laughs) it's interesting to think of like being ignorant towards yourself like that's kind of what that that sounds like to Mm -hmm. me is 
it's interesting to think that I'd I'd never never thought of it as being applicable to your to you like being ignorant to your uh, intuitions like people say listen to your gut and shit like that and when you're yeah you're ignoring those things you're being ignorant towards yourself rather than that acceptance and that makes it harder for people to like want to be able to reach out and like have help like we discussed about somebody that we mutually know earlier that like we can you can see that they are aware of sadness and like feelings that they're experiencing but they don't take steps to help themselves right and then like i think in that regard it is being ignorant in a way like it's it's kind of it's, you're kind of ha- uh, half awake is, oh, is what sure. i would want to say is that like you knowing knowing that you have a, uh knowing that you have issues and stuff that you need to deal with it but like you choose not to deal with it right because i like they're um they're not ready for it and that and that's ah. and that's totally fine too but it's like when is that point of you have you not being ready to be able to help yourself when is that turning into when when is it too late mm. you know uh do you ever watch monty python or do you know who when i was when i was like this big <laughs> uh, this would be this is better uh so um harry potter there's that go- headless ghost oh yeah okay so he's from monty python his name's john cleese okay oh, okay 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 yep very very funny individual but also very intelligent well uh um well read i would say and i keep forgetting to look up the fucking person who said this but he quotes this author uh who says um stupid people lack the capacity to recognize that they're stupid and what that's really saying is when you're too deep in the throes of something you lack the capacity to recognize that anything needs to be corrected Mm -hmm. so when it comes to depression when it comes to all of these things when we're too deep in it we just and that's what i was saying earlier is like body says we're depressed we're sad so we're going to be fucking sad for the rest of the day like you for somebody who does not have these other intuitive things um or you you've never been presented with them either in in some cases um you just lack the capacity to recognize that you're supposed to even do something Mm -hmm. and when people have like the behavioral stuff it's um they come to expect that people are going to view them a certain way so even though i say this stuff it doesn't really matter because they're going to view me a certain way anyways Mm. i'll get like a moment of relief by saying hey this is going on but why change anything if everybody's going to look at me the same well i mean i think i think attaching yourself to like what people view you as experiencing these things that is in turn again helping reinforce a false sense of self Mm. because what other people think of you doesn't make you you if that makes sense you know or it's like yeah. uh, no 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 you know uh, the um, only thing that i was gonna throw to that is like the irony in people like you and i where we 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 care what people think because we feel that we're creating something worthwhile. And that's that's all based on ego. Ah, okay. You know, like uh, people think that like people kind of uh, attach the word ego to like, you know, you were talking about earlier where it's like, you know, when I talk about myself and my experiences and stuff that it could come across to some people as cockiness, mm. you know, where it's like uh, 
I I I I don't see it as cockiness, but it de- it definitely does come from like a place of ego, and ego is just like how people perceive themselves, and the ego it needs to be fed. The ego always needs to be fed, and the ego really likes low frequency damaging energy yeah yeah so yeah. The, so, so people feed people who experience mental illness and stuff they feed their ego by a lot by trapping themselves in this on the kind of like negative mindsets i you wonder know? if if people get like i'm just kind of realizing like if ego happens like to a, a fault when people are because it's a, a lot of times associated with a product or some type of tangible thing, so like something they can listen to, something they can look at, mm-hmm. smell, taste, whatever. Um, when you're under the guise of like, like look at this thing, and you're you're showing people that this this amazing thing, but what they see is, oh, you you did this, wow, I can't believe that you. And so like, it's like tricky in that you you have a shield, like you have kind of a wall that separates like. It's but this is a thing over here. I'm I'm over here. Mm-hmm. But eventually you're like, yeah, I fucking made that thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, <laughs> and then uh, people attribute like ego, like having ego is like having a big head. Oh, right, right, right. You know, but it's like it's true in a way. It's it, it, like in in that in that sense of use of in that sense of use of ego, having a big head can definitely be. You know, that's definitely accurate, but it's like what Eckhart Tolle was like explaining is that ego is just like a ego is kind of like a one's reinforcement, their idea of their sense of self. Where like, okay. uh, for, for instance, like my ego would be definitely attributed to be like, I make music. I like vegan food. <laughs> I like girls. <laughs> I have four friends. I have this job. I have this cool car. So it's like it's saying that like all these external things that are in my life that uh-huh. I have that is ego. That's very interesting. Yeah, and like ego is essentially like a false sense of self. So when you're having moments like uh I've definitely noticed like a lot lately, like uh this girl this girl I've been seeing for quite a while where it's like um I, I feel like there there's some there's sometimes and there's some ways where I feel like I'm a little bit more conscious of feelings than she is because like uh she has like you know she has a lot of things that she's dealing with as well for herself and she feels bad she, it's uh she says that it feels hard for her to talk to me about you know things that she's dealing in ex- dealing with and experiencing because she feels like every day is the same like nothing changes mm. you know so like that's that's pain body that's like another thing that he talks about is pain body pain body like a someone having a very dense pain body like in a in a relationship or like interesting when, when you experience problems in a relationship like it like could be like well just any arguments like any kind of infidelity that kind of like it, it makes your pain body more dense but when you're but when you're able to exp- but when you're able to like have a moment saying that like you know like for instance i could be like talking about myself in like kind of you know blowing out this this sort of like sensationalized idea of like who i am and like my accomplishments and my success like when i'm able when i'm able to speak about these things and like identify that as like my ego needs to be fed Mm. and i'm conscious of that then like i can have that moment where i'm sort of like you know yeah this is totally ego 
or uh for like a big thing of it is that like uh, when we would have conflict in relationships or like when we'd have an argument uh she would she would uh this is like kind of a thing that makes like my relationships really kind of like tumultuous is that like when someone that i'm with and seeing that i love very very deeply comes to me with a problem or a situation that they, they need to talk about when they take that to me my brain always wants to go on the defense and see that as an attack on me and i see oh. I, I see them i see them attacking my sense of self which goes back to the ego thing so when i identify them saying they're like you have this problem you're talking to me about this problem my ego makes it so that like i need to be right which is like i see it as being attacked here are my reasons why I am right. And like nobody really gets anything out of winning an argument that's completely ego-based. Right. But when you're able to identify that when saying that like it could be it, it could be anything, which is like my 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 brain's kind of like drawing a blank just because like I don't want to I don't no, no, no. I, 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 I don't want to like lose the point, but it's like say that uh the girl I love has a problem with some behavior that I'm exhibiting. When she takes it to me and I'm able to listen to that and have a moment and think of like, okay, immediately you're going to have your reaction. You're going to have the things that you want to say. But when I have that moment to like slow down and say like, there's this that I could say. But if I say this, what is that going to like? Like what? What am I? What am I productively getting out of that? Right. When I'm What's able, the when, end I'm, goal? when I'm able, when I'm able to identify my reaction and my response Sweat is my ass off. <laughs> take it off. <laughs> but no, like when when I'm able to have a moment to like process like. You say this, I want to say this back. When I'm able to process like my response as being completely out of ego and my ego needing to be fed, mm. that's when I can actually have a productive and fruitful discussion, you know, and, it doesn't, and not make it about me winning an argument or me being right. Mm. You know, when, when, when two people are able to set, when two people are conscious in their relationship and are able to deal with situations like that and realize that like, I want to say this, I want to say this when they're able to identify that it's out of ego. That's when you can really, really build a truly good and long lasting relationship. And the thing is that's like, it's hard for somebody who is like a lot more conscious than someone who was like not as conscious. That's so interesting because I've, I've never thought of ego in that way. I've always attributed it to like perceived success and shit like that right but it that you're absolutely right like that i i see myself doing shit like that all the time kim and i get into shit where for some reason somebody has to be the victor right and yeah Yeah. i i never thought of it being as ego for some reason yeah and like um for for anybody for anybody listening who could like uh who kind of has this idea that like speaking about you know things and stuff that I've done and that I've accomplished is just like being an ego based thing or like uh I've learned over the course of my life and like being a creative is that like some uh success whether it just be creative success or for you in your instance just like success with your life success is very subjective mm. you know for I definitely now see myself as successful where you know, a lot of people could be watching this and like they could not have any idea who the fuck I am. 
have I done like have I done like really have I accomplished some like really culturally changing amazing things? No, it can like no. But the fact that like I am twenty eight and I am I never gave up on what I was passionate about. I'm still making music. I see that as like me being successful. Well, that's awesome. because like at that point, like I'm like I'm in the moment. When I'm in the when, like when I'm in my, when I'm in my studio and I'm making a song and it's just it's flowing out of me and I'm making something just like when I'm finished with it I bounce that I bounce that MP3 out and I listen to it on repeat for thirty minutes. That's when I feel successful, you know. And like yeah. and, and like and when I like when I'm playing shows, even though the venue is three quarters of the way empty, <laughs> I can see fifty kids losing their shit to somebody I made in my bedroom. Yeah, I won't need fifty thousand people. Like yeah, you know, just find find like finding find the good and like accepting and practicing gratitude for what you do have. Yeah, and like and and what you're doing, you know. So like, I think in that regard, I find myself as successful. Where like me, kind of like uh, this would be me kind of reinforcing what would be your ego. Where it's like I look around this beautiful studio, this beautiful home, and your family, and just like all the things that you've been able to you know make happen for yourself i see you as successful but it's at the same time like none of this shit it may none of it makes you you mm, interesting you know because like at the center at this end of the day you're you're still chris duke to me man and <laughs> you bought me vegan toppers yeah. and we had a great talk i think this is probably like the best talk i've had with somebody in quite a while well dude i, I it's I that's why like before we recorded we were kind of like bouncing back and forth as to whether we were going to do it or not and this is not like the normal format there's normally snacks and jokes and all kinds of shit but there's a lot to you um that I I want to highlight so like something that I have to do like pretty regularly so people don't think that which is hilarious because there's all of these things that my ego was affecting that I didn't perceive as ego. Like, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you said those things. The way that you Dude, did. sometime I'll come down. I'll bring those books for you. They're so eye opening, and they're like they're able to be read and digested in the manner of someone that like I didn't. I wasn't aware of anything or any of the concepts I talked about it. But by the time I finished reading these books, like just a really, just a really profound sense of just like learning and immediately being able to like apply that to my relationships and the people around you know so it's like it's uh the first one is called the power of now okay these are are both by Eckhart Tolle the first one is the power of now and the first one that I actually bought that I read is called a new earth Mm. where it's like a new earth is that the one with Will Smith no oh (laughs) but uh, it's a a new uh, a new earth awakening to your life's purpose ah Mm -hmm. so the thing that i was going to say was like there's this this thing that i do which is to point out that like i I, for a very long time i've well i shouldn't say very long time but for a fairly lengthy time at least a decade i've said that i am a piece of shit and the reason that i say that is i never want like I get that like I'm very friendly and I'm I'm very like passionate and and all of these things for for uh to me I always say that sincerity is the most important thing in the world and so I want people to know that I sincerely appreciate them and and da 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 da. da. However, I have done not so great things 
And I, I say that because like Kim, like for whatever strength I have for like making it through the shit that I've made it through, Kim has been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. So like she is just as, if not stronger than myself for sticking around and being able to find a way to cope with the weirdness that is Chris Duke, which is always weird, like saying my name, but <laughs> it, like, so, I mean, with you, the reason why I want, I want to bring this stuff up is like, um, people, I was a lot of people's first addict in their life. So there are people who survived the shit that we put them through. And I don't feel like people like that get highlighted enough. So, I mean, are there instances in your life? Like, have you reflected on that at all? Uh, Yeah, many. Especially recently. You know, like we talked about this earlier. We're like a lot of times in like the past, I don't know, like seven or eight years of my life. There have been times where like, um. You know, like I'm a I'm 113 days clean from cocaine today. Just fucking awesome. Yeah, and just the amount that I was like doing on a daily basis. You know, like we talked about um, when I would like when I was using, I used to numb myself into kind of escape. Oh. And so I feel like in my moments of like escape, where I felt like a different person. I wasn't noticing and I wasn't conscious of the things that I would say and the things that I would do to people who like I like were in my life and like friends, acquaintances and everything. I didn't perceive that as harmful behavior, Mm. which afterwards I was made aware of that. It was very harmful behavior. And I still had like a quite a period like you know who like whoever it is i've still had a fair period of time afterwards where they're still dealing with that pain and i was never able to apologize you know and it's like i i don't like oh uh, i was just speaking to somebody you know a couple of days ago who was like i was like i told her i was like you know just i've noticed that people have like kind of like deleted me and unfollowed me on stuff and you were one of them i just kind of want to know why Mm. You know, like if there's some things that I did to make you have to distance yourself from me. And she gave me a very real and honest answer. And it was kind of, you know, like I th- I think I knew for a while, but just like kind of having that affirmation like that. And she's like, you know, just like I still love you. And I've stood by your side like while, you know, I was accused of like like uh, accused of several things. She's like, I've stood by that, but it's like when it got to be just more than one person, then like I I had to distance myself from you just like out of because like it's solidarity. A, it, it, yeah, it's it's something that they had to do, and it's like and I don't resent them for that. Sure. You know, so now I'm just at the point of where like I need I need to not only just like be aware of that, but you know, like I, 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 I need to be able to, I need to be able to move through these things now where it's my behavior. Like I have everybody, everybody, everybody is like hurt somebody in their lives, you know? Mm. And when I'm made aware of me kind of like 
acting out and doing things that aren't me that have hurt others, I take it a lot deeper than a lot of other people where it's like the 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 chemical imbalance will come back into saying i'm a piece of shit mm-hmm. you know and it's like the best thing that i can do now is that because i'm conscious of it i have to move towards those feelings and i need to practice more and it's like if who like who like whoever i have damaged like if i can if i can know who exact names and everything and like what and why and actually just be able to say that like i apologize to them and how can i start to begin to make amends sure like it's 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 good for everybody but it's i i understand at the same time that like because of what have because of like some things that have happened like the severity of them that it may be triggering to them and the last thing that i wanted to do right now is you know to hurt again Right. Well, something that we said, uh, or that was said, uh, when I was in treatment, um, actually, I don't know if it was said or if it was just something that I like just kind of picked up on, which was the fact that sobriety doesn't make everything better. It simply gives you the state of mind to be able to handle the things with a clear mind now. Right. I mean, so, I like, I, I, I did cocaine because I wanted to feel better, but now I quit it because I wanted to be better. Wow. That's that's fucking beautiful, dude. Well, it's like it could it could, be, it could apply to the same thing with like you know, with what you deal with as well. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and so like there was, but so the the thing that like I kept seeing and um and it's definitely like I have codependency issues too. Mm-hmm. So like when I was hearing you say like wanting to know the names and like if they're willing so that I can make amends, like I letting go of how because addicts and i'm not saying that you're like an addict to the extent of like any like myself or anybody else but um in in that world for some reason um we really want uh because it brings a sense of relief like if you're able to let this individual know like how like at your absolute core how apologetic and how sincere you are that it the in the hopes of them receiving that that then that will bring you relief yeah because like when when that happened in the moment i didn't perceive myself as hurting them Mm. you know and a lot like a lot of it could be like a lot of it i know it was because of my addiction Mm. You know, like uh, any kind of any kind of like chemical or substance addiction that someone with borderline personality disorder has is complete. It's disaster. It, it it is. It honestly is. You know, because like that like that becomes. It, I try to use like I try to use it as an escape on the daily. You know, yeah. and like when like the things that I would do and say in periods of like when I felt like I was in my escape when the high is gone and you know, I was saying like, and I read back through the shit that I've said, I was like, this is not fucking me. Yeah. I, you know, but it, and it's like at the same time I have to be, I have to, I have to accept, I have to accept that like, while I was in this state of mind or substance use, I still caused these people harm mm-hmm. and they're not going to see it the same way that I did. 
So it becomes like it comes back to like I need I need to bring myself down to a point of empathy and understanding and saying that like at the end of the day, I still had a choice and I chose I chose to allow what I was doing kind of like drive my decisions or what it's like I, I i allowed myself i i allowed myself to like i'm feeling these feelings of abandonment and sadness i allowed that to like make me use which oh, I in, see what which, which in turn caused harm to them but they're not gonna they're not gonna see that they're like they're just gonna see it's like you know like like you know me just being like a piece of shit oversharing you know, and like mm-hmm. doing like doing these things, it doesn't it doesn't soften the blow for them. So it's like I, I I'm trying like I want to be able to like make people uh, make whoever that I have caused harm to understand that I am very sincerely like apologetic, and the only way that we can because like I don't I don't I don't want this I like I don't want this kind of like sense of who I am to be in this person's mind forever because it's like they they like how 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 they essentially like think of me now is not who i am and the way to deal with that is to like move towards these feel uh move towards these feelings that like i have brought upon you and to apologize and to make amends and in that term (laughs) we're able to like move through them sure you know I mean, so I don't know if you've listened to any of the the other, like the addiction podcast that we do, but uh, one thing that I, I try to drive home on there is the thing that like helped me in in my addiction is uh, trying to apply as many objective truths as possible, and the biggest one was the uh, disruption of the three step system. So your brain has a three-step system you have the the midbrain which is passive uh things that your your body does so that you live like breathing blinking Mm -hmm. shit like that um your body knows that you need fuel so it had to introduce a reward system because getting food is not a passive thing you have to there's an action right so there's an action that you need to take in order to get that thing um so the brain through evolution had to create uh, dopamine so that there's a positive there's a net positive from introducing the food which there are receptors for in your brain as well yep so you're <clears throat> so the the basic term is like uh so your body says or midbrain step one says we need food uh to talk to the contemplation stage which is the limbic system and the limbic system says okay midbrain says we're hungry what are we going to do about that we could go get arby's we could get taco bell fuck it let's go get denny's (laughs) and uh so you say okay we're gonna go get denny's how do we go get denny's and then that's the prefrontal cortex which says all right let's go hop in the car and then we'll go get denny's when you introduce substance uh, your dopamine levels are doubled. Mm-hmm. So f- from the amount of use, eventually your brain has to literally carve out a new path to accommodate for this extra dopamine. Hey, Layla. But 
so because it has carved out this new pathway, that's now the bar for survival. So the it it has to constantly try to figure out how to how dare you in these trying times cough in this house. <laughs> I put my I put my shirt up over my mouth, dude. There's been so many times like going out and getting groceries, I'll have my mask on and I'll still sneeze into my arm. Uh, but anyway, so um so your brain eventually is like we're not surviving as much as we're supposed to be surviving. So it skips step two and goes straight to action. And so because your brain is doing this rewiring, that's where the like irrational shit comes into play. So like, you know, people say that like your true self comes out when you're drunk. It's total bullshit. Like there may be like you're hanging on to some lies or some secrets that, blurred out because your inhibitions are a little loose but really what comes out is your most irrational self yeah i yeah you know what i mean you know and it's like it's it's in those periods where i've been in my most irrational self that i have brought harm to others which is the basis for you know any and all substance abuse but so it's called the disease of choice so you chose to use first you had no choice over what that substance was going to do in like make you think that you needed that thing in order to survive and, and deal with whatever the fuck was going on. Yeah. And you know I'm, what I mean? No, I do. I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses for you, but what I'm trying to say is like, you know, people sit like, because we're the vehicles with which this information is relayed. Right. Mm-hmm. So the things that you said to those people, because you're the vehicle with which that happened, they can't help but have an emotional attachment to you specifically and negating this other thing that was happening that is again it's i'm not trying to make excuses but it's very real and like scientifically proven right that these irrational thing you're literally rewiring and carving paths out in your brain like there's some fucked up shit going on plus statistically speaking majority of addicts have some underlying mental health issues yeah and i think that's like uh, a really big thing right now is cancel culture yeah and that's kind of like one thing that like you just talked about that's it's kind of like frustrating and like kind of sad to see with this with this whole cancel culture take place where it's like you know like at the end of the day when like when when i was doing what I was doing to hurt these people, they're like, again, that's not me. Like, it's my most irrational and, like, just most impulsive self, which is another thing with borderline personality disorders. Like, my level of impulsivity is so fucking crazy. Like, there's, like, the the shot like the shopping sprees like i literally have like a like a 42 like a 42 item spice rack like restaurant size spice racks just like that's hilarious you just like just had to buy it all in a week and a half well did i did we say this i can't remember if we said this on mic or off mic but um people want people with mental health issues to act like they don't have mental health issues yeah really wish i could like <laughs> so People, yeah, because we seem confident in the things that we're saying right now and mm-hmm. like seem to have an understanding that that means every moment of every day we are therefore capable of, of being quote unquote normal people when really we have, 
we're we're doing our fucking best like to go back to what you're saying about your upbringing like we're doing our fucking best but yeah we're, but it, we're not the same yeah but like if i could if i could not feel any of the things that i feel on a day-to-day basis i would be willing to like go in your bathroom and wake up in an ice bath with one of my kidneys missing right now <laughs> but i can't so like the only way that i can deal with it is to like choose to be conscious of it and like choose to move towards these feelings and these memories and like in turn like the only way that we're going to heal them is like by forgiveness when you forgive everything now, when in your, you it, say forgive are you talking about yourself? I'm talking about just like in just just in general for anybody and everybody. Like when people when people are able to practice forgiveness, like true forgiveness, mm-hmm. everything just fucking works. Um, I think I get what you're trying to say, but forgiveness is a a little too broad. I think really it's the understanding and acceptance part that is what helps people move forward. Yeah. Because forgiveness is not like an essential human right. Right. Like there are people in my life that I would not give two fucks if they died tomorrow. Like I get that that makes me a horrible human, but I love 99.9% of the people on this fucking planet, but there are some that I just could fucking live without. That being said, (laughs) the majority of the people like I don't have that. I don't have an extreme viewpoint t- towards the people that I do have the extreme viewpoint towards. It's because of the shit that they've done to other human beings and feel that it's okay. And then chose to make a living off of being horrible to other human beings. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. So what I'm saying is the acceptance part allows for closure. If what needs to be done is that that, chapter is now closed right so between you and these other people um they can say i accept like you know what you've been through and i accept these you know yada 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 Mm -hmm. um i can't help like they can't help the way that they feel they can't help if there is some level of trauma associated with it or if it stirred up other moments of trauma um, they're not going to be able to control those feelings any more than we can, like the chemical imbalances that we have, right? Yeah, and then just like I don't, I don't, I don't want people to like. What do I say? Are you looking for? It, it, it's I in, had something, but like, I get where you're going. Like, so you don't want um, there. So, and ironically, like a a, a byproduct of our our uh, um, mental health issues is all, a lot of all or nothing thinking. And yeah. Um, yeah, and cancel culture is like an extreme. It it really is like somebody with bipolar disorder out in the in culture. Like so, this all or nothing thinking and choosing to be ignorant to any circumstance that could have led to a thing. Um, is yeah, you're you're being ignorant to like like I've been saying for years that Louis C.K. was n- not just dark not just a dark comic it's very clear that he has dark issues that like comedians musicians like mm-hmm. we're tormented artists like we <laughs> you can't elevate us and expect that we're going to be able to function like other human beings yeah like especially when ego gets in the way and we're being elevated because of the tormented shit that we went through we we feel like we don't have to 
actually deal with anything because yeah, so things are getting better. Yeah, that's that's reinforcing that false sense of self. Yep, yep, yep. Where it's like, okay, I got big off of telling like dark, uh, dark humor jokes about like my little sister dying when I was mm-hmm. like seven years old. I think it's like a uh, Daniel Sloss. But like, definitely check out some Daniel Sloss because some of his so, yeah, so, yep, yeah, he's got two things on Netflix and one thing on Amazon Prime. Definitely very, very profound, very profound like lessons and like t- things. Does, that he, does he have his there. own brand of coleslaw? Because Daniel Sloss Sloss would be <laughs> fucking awesome, right? But like, I, I think, I think the thing I was saying about what frustrates me with cancel culture is that like it's putting out this notion that like these people who deal with things like substance abuse and you know some very very deep dark internalized trauma for themselves while when they are enacting things out that hurt other people where it's like i have a i have a hard stop at rape you know like oh of course but like um you know, just like saying some like really stupid shit or battling an addiction. Like, I feel like cancel culture is like something it's putting out this notion that these people don't deserve to better themselves or that they will always be this way. Oh, sure, sure, sure. You know, well, the 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 movement started because of a very clear systemic and historical problem that's been going on for far too fucking long. I get that. Like, yeah, for sure. There's absolutely there are some people who, I mean, for every like person that's miscanceled, there are like a hundred more that definitely deserve to be canceled. So, like, if I was uh, t- telling somebody this example a couple weeks ago, but um, uh, when I was still doing stand up uh, at the Keller Bar. Um, what we would try to do before the show started is we would try to get people to move up mm-hmm. um, so that they could, you know, be more engaged and and this and that. And I'm naive to, or I'm just not, I just was not aware of the amount of shit that was going on towards females, like on a on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it just, I don't see it as much. I hear it. But I don't, I don't see it firsthand. Yeah, well, just like we're we're men, right? Well, <laughs> I I unfortunately have far too many friends that have dealt with a lot of shit. But that being said, so we're trying to get people to move up forward. There's a table of girls. I go up and I say, "Hey guys, how's it going? I don't know if you know there's a show going on, but there's tons of room up there." And a girl looked at me and goes, "Ew, no." And I could have been like, "What a fucking bitch." The th- like there's a million thoughts racing through my head and the main one that kept coming up was that they're bothered so often when they go out that I'm just another guy doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Me feeling uncomfortable is nothing compared to the other situations that could happen to them it's, yeah, throughout it's, that night. Yeah, I, I definitely felt the same. You know it's, it, it's not. And like uh, I mentioned Daniel Sloss because on his Amazon special, he has this bit where he talks about... Uh, is he a comedian? Yeah, he is, oh, he's a okay, comedian. Okay. Uh, I think he's Scottish, but he's, he's hilarious. But on his Amazon special, there's a moment in the show where he talks about... Uh, he says that every guy alive is sick of this all-men-are-trash narrative. Right. So if you're sick of it, if you're sick of that conversation... Feel free to fucking change it. <laughs> and the only way that we can change it is to by actively working hold, against that. Yeah, yeah. Like like holding your friends accountable. 
Well, and holding yourself accountable too. Because I was, like I said, I was naive and maybe to an extent ignorant to the fact that some random dude just being, by being friendly, these girls are going to accept me and want to do what I ask them to do. Mm -hmm. Like that's a very naive thing for me to think Mm -hmm. rather than like they see a show and maybe they'll come up front. Or like maybe on the mic just saying, hey, guys, there's room up here. Feel free to come up front, you know, rather than feeling like ah, people will just trust me. Yeah. Yeah. So he's saying he's saying that, like, if we want to change the conversation, we have to actively speak out. Where if you have if you have 10 dudes in a line and one of them is a complete piece of shit, but the other nine dudes don't do anything about it. You got 10 fucking shitty dudes. Right. You know, so like I like. Because a friend of mine, because I was able to have this conversation with them where they said that they distanced themselves from me because they were holding me accountable for shit that I was doing that was hurting others. Mm. My way of like, I want to change the conversation because like uh, I want to do it in a way where it's like, I wish I could speak to these people that I did hurt and I could apologize and begin to make amends because I do want to change the conversation because it's like when that happened, that wasn't me. But this is me now. If that if that if that, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's know? just it's tough because like I don't deserve an apology from those girls that I that I spoke to, right? Mm-hmm. And like the the what you do deserve is to be able to move forward and make new friends or to make new relationships and things like that. Mm-hmm. But once a thing has been done, we have relinquished the right to be able to have some type of chance of, of having a normal friendship relationship, whatever. And then I think that's you know just one, I think that's just one thing that like canceled culture is just like kind of put out that like once you've been canceled, that's all you fucking deserve for the rest of your life. Oh, it's to you don't deserve anything after the fact. Yeah. Right. You know, just like, God, I mean, like there's there's been times where like I've thought about it where it's like if it ever got to the point where like where I was executed publicly over some shit that like I did that I didn't realize I was hurting others when I was doing it in a point of pain and like fool like, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and deny that, like what I may have said and done that I've heard of other people that like I I should automatically just have a pass for it because like I was fucked up or something like that, you know, because I don't. But it's right. like if like if I'm I'm actively trying to change the conversation and better myself and like wanting to wanting to apologize and wanting to make amends, I'm trying to change the conversation. I'm trying to change myself now but it's like if i'm hung like that and like i lose music i'm not gonna get booked anywhere anywhere else like Mm. that one part of my brain that has that imbalance that's gonna flip that switch off where it's like it's not gonna be an if i'm gonna end my life it's when and how yeah you know and it's like i think it's i think it's something that's like i see it as not being fair because when i was talking to my friend she's like you know, this conversation wasn't had because it's like they're planning, people aren't planning on outing you or anything. It's more just about like keeping others safe. Yep. Yep. So it's like when you're speaking to him, be mindful that right. these are things that he's done before. So she said that the best thing that you can do right now is to reflect and actively work on changing yourself to be a better which i feel like i am trying to do and it's if 
the uh if these girls aren't at the point of like where they're ready to have a conversation with me yet or if ever it's wrong for me to be resentful of that because oh yeah yeah because like by choosing to be resentful of that where it's like you know just like i just want to talk to them and like make everything okay you know just because like can i get a hug yeah just (laughs) where it's like because like i i know because like i'm conscious of it now where it's like i've had that thought before like i've had the thought where it's like yeah i do i do want to talk to these girls that like i have hurt and i have caused damage to but it's like it's not well, I'm, that goes back to those abandonment issues. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, it's like I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that like I have to do it just because I want them to think of me better. And for me to resent them not wanting to have the conversation with me just so I could change what their idea of my sense of self is about me—that's an ego thing. I need to be more empathetic, and I need, need to be more conscious of that. Like at the end of the day, you caused these people pain just because they're not ready to talk to you now, or if ever that doesn't and make them a bad person. And for me to be bitter about that is that's uh that's uh that's that's human. That that's it's a, it's a, it's insanity. And I'm not like insanity right. like No, 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 no. No. Insanity is simply uh by definition uh doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Mm-hmm. Um but that you raise an interesting point which is I think that the the comfort that could be had is them knowing that you moving forward are not going to be doing these things yeah right that you're act so like the peace of mind that like they don't have to worry about you going out and and this thing happening to other people yeah so i think like in in that regard like that's what cancel culture is meant like for the disenfranchised that's what it's meant to do right Mm -hmm. is to make sure that these people don't have the platform to be able to because they're not saying that you're not able allowed to be a citizen anymore Mm -hmm. like you're still in america you can still get a nine to five da 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 but um i think that that is a super important thing like if these individuals can know that because if that's the goal right that they don't want you to have the platform to be able to... Well, and, I mean, they've said that they don't want you to not have the platform. But if the goal is, like, for other individuals who are, like, truly canceled to not have the platform to be able to do more harm... Yeah, and I If think- they could know that, like, there is sincere change that is going to happen in that individual because maybe they were naive to, like oh, I just assumed that people trusted me or wanted me in this way and therefore I acted this way, da 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 Right. I mean, like, an, I think I think, I think, think there's varying... I think, does that make sense what I was trying no, to say? No, 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 no it, it, it does. And, like, I think, especially now, I think a problem that is very prominent is that, like, when people are getting, you know, canceled, so to speak, and they put out the apology... They make the apology about themselves, mm-hmm. and like Louis C.K.'s was fucking garbage. Yeah, it was, and he wanted people to get over it. So, like, that yeah. dude like has a lot of issues that somebody needs to fucking make him deal yeah. with. Or like, but- oh my, oh <laughs> god, you know the one of the worst was Kevin Spacey's. Oh, just a raging anal fucking garbage fire unbelievable you know but what i'm saying is that like when like when when these people are called out like that they make it about themselves and right 
so like they're like that's a complete like and i think that again that goes back to like an ego based thing you know like okay so kevin spacey molested me like male co-stars and like he just like chose that to like use it as an opportunity to come out you know like when when people when you have several people come forth about like some you know some shit that you're fucking doing that's hurting people you can't like it's it, it's it's okay to like trace it back to like I have like I have these issues where like and like when I was acting out that was not coming from a place of like where of who I actually am, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like people, uh, these people, they apologize and like they make every like they make everything like just completely based off of like they're refusing to take accountability for their actions. Ah, uh, right. You know, you know, or like uh, in some cases, like uh, people like dad, uh, people like dad sick, like when dad sick was called out. Well, like Dadsec is like a DJ, a producer guy. He was like a, he's very well documented history of like being a predator, uh. and like uh, so like in in that case, I think it's different because he had a position of power and influence, and he was knowingly getting people fucked up to the point of where consent wasn't black and white. And exercising his point of power over it to harm others. Yeah, I think when you have things like mental illness and substance abuse, which is like both of those together is just a cocktail for absolute self destruction, especially with borderline personality disorder, dude. Because like another big attribute of this kind of illness is that self sabotage, which is like another like another like reason why i have very tumultuous relationships it's at my hands every relation that's what i was trying to get at earlier too was like you have just like every single relationship that i've had in my life that's ended it's me leaving first because i don't want them to leave me which goes the abandonment issues Mm. you know or like especially just uh, uh this last relationship that i've had and like we talk a lot about this too and like i i bought her a couple books to read up on like borderline personality disorder and i know that she's read them because we're definitely at a point in our relationship where she is starting to set boundaries for herself ah uh. you know and which is like at first i at first i didn't see that as that you know where she's like you know just like we both have our own shit going on and She's like, I still have nothing but love for you and I have hope for our future. But like right now, I need the space and the time to be able to help myself because she feels like she is codependent on me. Mm. And because of that, I would see her codependency on me. Is that like, like she's my response? Like I kind of internalize that as like my responsibility. So when she's so when she started setting boundaries for herself, saying like, you know, maybe we shouldn't talk every single day, every day, FaceTime every night, because she says that it makes it harder for herself to help herself. Mm. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to be at this point that she's at now, where she feels like she needs to come to me about everything, and like she needs me to fix all of her problems because she sees that as an unfair thing to do to me. And just because of the, with my with my mental illness, when she says that and she's enforced and then she's setting boundaries, just I see that abandonment, mm. you know, and because I see that as abandonment, like, yep, act out, you know, so, yeah. then, so then that like that, that kind of like, you know, and especially like when I was especially like when I was using when she was having those 
things where it's just like, you know, just like, I just need, I just need space to be able to like deal with what's going on with me. I would see that as abandonment, which would trigger my drug use and like immediately have to feel the need to go and like entertain other options at the time just because like i couldn't deal with being abandoned i couldn't deal with being alone so much that like i felt like i needed to have somebody else there which is not a very fair thing for me to do which really september 18th is my sober date oh wow yep and then uh that like really kind of like triggered my need to where it's like not only is that like have have i been made aware that like i've hurt other people in like the peak of like you know me using Mm. is that like it's caused it's caused problems in my relationship now where it's like me using perpetuates the problems that we have and she has she can't trust me again right now because like i would say that like i'm i'm gonna do better i'm gonna work on myself i'm gonna put this shit down but i never did Mm. you know she's she's like if you're not if you're she um i don't know she's like actually said this but i know that she's felt it where if I can't do those things to help me, how am I going to do them in a relationship? Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, you know, and it's just like, I got, I got nothing but fucking love for this girl, you know, and you know, you've seen me be with several people over the course of my life. Yeah. And you know, it's the thing that I've thought of with you. And I think like the similarities that I see, um, or like, cause like part of my codependency issues is is finding a point to relate and coming up with a either an analogy or an example as to why I understand like who you are and and your intention da 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 but um because we're so sincere and so kind to others when somebody sees us do wrong it's double worse because they were able to be so invested in us because we were willing to be so invested in them Mm -hmm. that now it's like a betrayal on top of a betrayal because it's like, Mm -hmm. I fucking let my walls down because you were so open and you were so sincere in all these things. Like, I've done that. That's like historically the worst part about me is I am so quick to let people in and be as kind as possible so that they feel good and they feel comfortable and supported Mm -hmm. that when I'm shitty, it's like, fuck dude. Yeah. I mean like, and they, I'm not saying it's wrong that like when you are, when you are shitty, I'm not saying that it's wrong for them to be hurt. I just think that like a lot of times in those circumstances that like when you're being made aware that you are hurting somebody else, no one takes it harder than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the second that you're made aware of it, you're like, oh, God, that's sinking like, it feels like all of the blood drains feels, from the top and goes straight down. Feels like drowning, man. Oh, I fucking hate it. it, it nothing makes me feel worse. You know, it feels like drowning, you know, and it's just like, I I know that like right now that the only way for me to move uh, to move through this pain is just like to... Like I like I'm I'm conscious of it now and like I accept accountability for the shit that I've done and like while that like while the, me acting out and hurting these people came from a place that it was essentially not me I still have to accept responsibility for it and instead of to being like you know like hey I have all these problems I did this this and that 
You know, you like, know I'm gonna go social get, media like, makes it worse, too, because if you post a photo, that's perceived as, oh, they don't care. They don't realize how much they've hurt me. Like, I've noticed that, like, when people um, get canceled is right after they post some amazing thing. And mm-hmm. the people that they've hurt go, I've fucking had it. It's so unfair that you're doing all this. Like, Chris D'Elia, when he got canceled, mm-hmm. like, people were just fucking sick of it. Like they were like, I, we can't fucking take this anymore, man. I mean, you you keep doing this shit, and it keeps getting rubbed in our faces. I mean, that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of like why it's hard for me to get pictures taken to me, or like for the last year, like this song I'm putting out in two days. It's my first song in like over a year. That's it. Okay, I'm putting you, I'm putting you in my fucking bathing shorts. You're getting in that tub. It's gonna be fucking rad. Yeah. <laughs> But okay, you know, sorry, and I'm just like, going. and especially in like social, that's very and, interesting. And then like, and then, so, and then you know, especially in like social media, the, like people just see the good. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is everything is like kind of sensationalized. Yeah. You know, so it's like I feel, I don't know. I think I think a lot of like what happened to do this last year too is that like as much as I I wanted to like keep putting out shit and like keep doing my own shit that was really I mean especially around May like I moved back to my mom's in May that was when uh, the protests were happening in Minneapolis oh I definitely like I definitely felt that uh, black voices were something that needed to be focused on and needed to be heard a lot more than just a white kid who was you know making black music you know like dance music wow. I mean I mean dance music dude that's black music absolutely pretty much every kind of like let's just let's just take a moment to like understand real quick that pretty much every music alive today is from black culture rock and roll came from blues that's black music my guy i i have a i have a joke i've only done it a couple of times but uh i have this joke that i that i was doing on stage where um uh i think the reason why like white people and this was before all the protests and shit happened like you could just feel it bubbling um i feel like uh when white people are like all what black people can't be racist? They absolutely can be racist. Sure, but we deserve what you're, what, we deserve it. <laughs> but also, what you're looking for is an excuse, like you're looking for confirmation bias. Mm. So my, the joke was, I think the reason why white people are getting so, you know, um, agitated and like trying to like say that um, all lives matter and all that shit uh, is that there. Let's so let's say all of the like the black community was like, all right, cool. We're all going to be racist. We're not going to accept whites anywhere. We're going to segregate ourselves, right? The reason why white people seem to be afraid of that is because they would lose all the cheat codes for being cool. Music. <laughs> Fuck, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Music, out. Uh, fashion, done. Yeah. Big dicks. Well, we never had that, but. No. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, the sentiment was, and the funny thing was the first time that I did it, there was one huge black guy in the crowd and he was the only one that was like with me on it. Everyone else seemed super uncomfortable and I pointed it out. I was like, it's just me and you guy. <laughs> but like there's this, yeah, it's it's very interesting that like the the people that I see getting the most worked up about this whole like, not all white people are racist. We're not fucking saying that. But you have to accept that there's a pretty clear systemic issue that's been going on and continues to go on. Well, yeah, there absolutely is. I mean, and that also accepting that doesn't mean you're accepting a fault of yourself. If you choose to do nothing, 
um, fuck, who said this? My my friend comrade told me this because we had to cancel a friend of ours, and it was gut wrenching because like he had been friends with this dude, this comic, since he was in elementary school, and without him, I would not still have this podcast. I would not have done as well as I did in stand up to whatever degree. Um, but we had to let him go, and I was like, I said, the curse of knowledge, man. And he said, knowledge is only a curse if you choose to do nothing with it. And it's like, that. <laughs> it blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what it, like I've been feeling when I learn shit. It's like, it's a curse if you're just sitting with it. You mm-hmm. just let it fester in there. Right. So I mean, white people, just get the fuck over it, man. Just yeah. accept it and be like, hey man, I'm sorry that that's going on. Oh, dude. I've told this story a million times. So listeners, if you want to hear it, go listen to uh, our episode with Paul Fletcher and Spencer. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, I'll, I'll tell you off air, but we've been recording for two hours. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's so much fun because there's so much to you that like, I, I there's still like probably three or four other things that I, I want to talk about, so I'll do. Oh, for sure. I'll yeah. have to. We'll have to have you back when when Kim's here, so that she can, because uh, she's good at like pointing out, like the obviously because she works in the mental health field, so like she knows a lot of shit. Oh yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but dude, so shout out to Kim real quick. Shout by the out way. to Kim Duke holding it down and that banging booty of yours. My God, um, she's a legend. <laughs> She is a legend. Uh, but, I mean, tell the people what you got going on, man. I think you're worth investing in. Listeners, I'm telling you that. Um, I think Jared is, is worth investing in. So, please, the socials. Well, this, this, this is like the hot ones. Like, <laughs> this camera, this camera, this camera. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have a new single coming out in, on the 11th with Atari. He recently rebranded to Peyton. Gosh, oh, okay. shout out to Peyton. God, just hunk, sweetheart, absolutely amazing. Very, very, very good person. Very amazing artist. I have a new song coming out in two days. Uh, I'm working on putting out an EP this so year. this will come out Monday. Yeah, this will come out Monday. Uh, I'm working on putting out an EP. I have about five songs selected that I'm kind of like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like still shopping for vocalists for to like kind of really just drive the message of the song home. Um, I think the EP is going to be called Darker. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I'm playing on doing. I'm playing on doing like a concept sort of thing where it's like they'll be darker and it'll be songs that I made over the course of maybe the past two years in my life when I've been in a darker spot. A lot of the songs are very kind of like uh, they're kind of like really abrasive, very uh, really heavy, mm. you know. And I want to evolve that where the next EP after that will be called Brighter, where it's songs with more of a, a positive message and like taking taking the bad and like turning it into good so sure uh darker i would look for that definitely some point later this year whenever i finish it <laughs> but i'm gonna tell the truth right now <laughs> i got an ep that's never coming out <laughs> but no definitely that definitely that new song in the first two days um so where can people find these it'll be on uh play for keeps is going to be on all major streaming services we got spotify uh Apple Music, Deezer, Amazon Music, 
maybe Pandora. Pandora's not dead in the ground, but definitely, no but definitely Spotify. It's coming out on High Caliber Records. Shout out to High Caliber Records. Those are good homies of mine. Couple days, Monday. Really excited. I've had this song made for over. So I've had this, this song. This ma- episode comes out Monday. This episode does. Yeah. So today, right? God, <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. Oh God, link in the description. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Um and then all of the socials. Yeah, yeah. Um Illuminary Six One Two on Facebook, Illuminary Music on everything else. There's Instagram, there's Spotify, uh there's Instagram, there's Twitter. You got TikTok? I do, do actually. You really? I have a <laughs> I have a I have a single TikTok. It's not great. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I remember making fun of Facebook. And now look at Facebook. Dude, if I was doing it right, I would be harnessing TikTok to its fullest extent. I just get the, don't get it. Get the, oh God, yeah, I don't know. I gotta I gotta like find that like that next viral TikTok sound bite and make a remix out of it and post it on there and then get like a hundred thousand new followers. You gotta like for a drop in a song, like have somebody come kick you in the nuts and then it'll go viral. See, I was thinking about doing the uh <laughs> I was thinking about doing the uh the 22 Jump Street thing. My name's Jeff. <laughs> My name's Jeff. <laughs> Ooh, that was filthy. Okay, well, you're awesome. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna play some rhythm. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Make sure you subscribe. I'm assuming I'm. Releasing this on the Duck Duck Grey Duke channel. We have three different RSS feeds now. Hmm. Yeah, Duck Duck Grey Duke, definitely. Well, maybe I'll release it on two of them. Okay. Wherever you're listening to this, thanks. Subscribe to whatever channel this is on. It'll be fucking dope. Uh, and actually, yeah, we got time. Uh, this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp.com. Uh, you can support the podcast by supporting your mental health. They have thousands of licensed therapists psychologists and like it's so hard to find a therapist i don't know if you've ever googled like a psychiatrist or anything i've been out of health insurance for like the past three years okay well anyways uh trying to find one is like it sucks even if you find one that person's booked out for weeks Mm -hmm. better help they can pair you up with somebody and i think it's 48 hours it's very short window of time and then you have access to email, chat, phone calls. Wow. Like it's fucking incredible. Those guys are awesome. So betterhelp.com slash D D G D. It's the acronym for the show. Again, support the podcast by supporting your mental health. All right. Peace be with you. Thanks, guys. <laughs>